Welcome to the Seize Your Story podcast. My name is Marshall Coleman. I'm a husband, a father, a writer, and a youth leader, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to share this podcast with you. Since this is our first episode, I thought I'd share with you exactly why we are here doing this and recording this in the first place. This is a place where we believe that your life is not just circumstance or a random happening of events that mean nothing, but that it's a story and it has meaning, full of different chapters depending on where you're at or where you're going or whatever you're going through, full of each day or hours as new pages to add to your tale, something that you write with your breath, your heartbeat, your blood flow, and your whole life, and that ultimately, above all else, that it truly, truly matters to you, to God, and to the people around you, because they play a huge part as well. And God, really, above all else. So we hope to remind you, to inspire you, to motivate you, of your story of importance by hearing other stories being shared. That might be a lot by myself sharing stories from my own personal life. That might be by me sharing stories I've been told or I've heard or I've seen happen. It could be from stories from others in conversation or interviews, maybe from discussing a movie or a show or a book, possibly from music or poetry or other pieces of art might even share some uplifting news stories of the week or pieces from history. Episodes might be 10 minutes, possibly even 60. However it's done, my hope is that it's something that by you listening, you contemplating, that it might be something that you take in so that your life is something that you will truly go after, that you will grab hold of each day of each moment like it's a story worth seizing. In today's episode, I want to share with you the tale of where this whole idea, this whole concept of Seize Your Story came from and why this podcast, our website, seizeyourstory.org, and a book I wrote, how it all came together from one person over the course of a few years. A few years ago, I accepted a position as a full-time youth leader. I'm still at that position today and it is something that I'm truly thankful for and grateful for to, to still be doing. I mean, let's get real. Being a youth leader is pretty darn awesome. The job is unlike really anything else on the planet. Something that has highs and lows that you can't really compare anywhere else. I mean, for instance, in the same night, I can be sharing the good news with a group of young people. And then a few minutes later, pegging a sixth grader right in the face with a dodgeball in the middle of a dodgeball game. Yes, I'm speaking from personal experience. Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness, this is a job where you find out many things that you might not have expected. 
that many, many young people are growing up today, not just in broken homes, but with broken hearts and broken minds. Many young people are hurting and they're suffering and they're asking questions why and they don't have answers to. It's led to a lot of discovery of mental illness in young people and it's caused a lot of hurt among these people. And I hear a lot of it in my position. One person in particular has stood out in this circumstance. See, a few years ago when we came over, my wife and I, there was one student that was difficult. I mean, really, really difficult. The, the, the way that they would talk to people, the way that they would interact, it was just always ready to be violent, always ready to be defiant, always ready to be against anyone and anything for any reason at all. Not just other students, adults, elderly folks, anyone. Just to be defiant and to go against what another person was saying. And it was very hard to deal with this person. But it was so worth getting them to smile and getting them to have a good time just one time a week. So as we saw them grow and as I saw them continue to, to come every single, every single meeting that we had, I saw that there was growth, but there were still issues at hand. Because this person was not just difficult for the sake of being difficult. They had so much going on inside. You see, they had issues that I had experienced dealing with myself, but not at this level. See, like I said already before, they had tendencies to get in fights, anger issues that rose beyond the roof, and they struggled with depression, and bipolar mania, and severe ADHD. Really, doctors struggled to figure out exactly what was going on because there was so much going on in this mind of this person. And so many times that they, they wronged others, and then in person, they tried to go off and show as if it didn't affect them, led to their shame. It led to them feeling like they were nothing. And all of this darkness formed like the darkest cloud imaginable that swallowed them whole from the neck up, that they couldn't breathe, and that they felt like they didn't even want to anymore. So they decided, you know what? There's a way for me to escape this. And so, I'm going to end my life. And so they decided to commit suicide. And they tried once. Thankfully, they failed. And I helped them out in the process, and I spoke some good words to them, and I prayed with them. But then just a few weeks later, they tried again. And I did the same thing, and, and, I, and I talked with their parents, and and I, I hoped to help them a little bit, but then again, through self-affliction, they tried. And for the third time, thankfully, it failed. So I thought about it thought about just by seeing them once or twice a week maybe that's not enough just by seeing them two to four hours out of their whole entire week 
maybe that isn't doing enough because they just need more time. They just need more energy put into themselves. And so I thought about it and and I wrote about it in my journal and and I prayed about it and I just thought if there was one legacy I could leave, what if it could be for this one student? I don't know why I thought this because to be honest, I was really stretched thin with my hours anyways. I was meeting with students every other morning and afternoon and doing various mentorship and, and leader trainings and all these organizing and scheduling. I was doing everything I could to keep myself busy so that our ministry could grow. But I thought about if I could put that aside just for a few hours, maybe even one hour every morning, what could that look like? To maybe give this one person time to just give them time and energy so talk to their parents and i decided i think it might be best if we met up in the mornings we just met up in the mornings to start their day off right start their day off just on a positive note and so we'd meet up sometimes at our church sometimes at the chick-fil-a at the cross the street or to get donuts or to have breakfast We'd meet up, just read scripture. We'd talk to each other about what was going on. I'd give them some positive words of encouragement, and then they'd go to school. This was our thing that we would do Monday through Friday, meeting early in the mornings. And this person seemed to really enjoy it. They loved every second of it, it seemed like. Not just the fact that I was giving them free food, but the things I was teaching them. Except it didn't seem like it was working. Everything that we talked about the day before didn't sound familiar the next day. Everything that we talked about in the morning seemed to wear off by the time that they stepped foot on their school campus. And so I thought, okay, well, if they can't do this on their own, maybe we need to bring more people to encourage them. So we did. We brought a couple other students with them in the morning and we meet and we sit and we talk and we read some scripture and we talk about some stories and we'd pray. And then I'd give them all some words of encouragement, let them know that they could be there for each other, and then they went off on their ways to school. But still, the same student was still getting into trouble. The same things were happening. Same depressions were rising up. Same violent outbursts were happening. And they weren't remembering anything that I was sharing. So I felt like I was wasting my time. I know that we're supposed to love people and that love is supposed to change their hearts and that's exactly what I was trying to do above all else. But I thought about it. What if there was a way that I could show this person that they matter? What is a simple way that I could help this person out, that they would be able to maybe remember things that speak into their own language. So I would write these short little poems or words of affirmation on these little pieces of paper, and we talk about them that morning. And sometimes we didn't even read scripture. We would just talk, and we would really share and really, really get deep about things. And we'd just laugh a lot. <laughs> And we would enjoy each other's company. And it was interesting. 
Because the more that we did this and the more that we wrote those little pieces and the words of affirmation, those words of truth, this person kept on to them and they held them and they took them with them to school. And the next day, they remembered what we were talking about. And after the course of a few weeks, they stopped getting into trouble. And after the course of a few months, they continued to go to school. And they stopped getting in fights. And they stopped having outbursts in their classes with their teachers. And they stopped wanting to hurt themselves and to harm themselves and to think about how worthless they are because I started to tell them how much they mattered. See, this whole concept came from them loving to share stories and to hear stories and to listen to stories and to hear the other stories of the, the other students that were there with us in the morning. And we would share stories and we'd laugh with each other and we'd watch some stupid video on YouTube and we'd, we'd listen to those stories and, and it would make us so joyful and, and they would remember everything. And so with that idea in mind, I thought, what if I could start something that could help people just like him? to share stories, to really inspire other lives. And so we started SeizureStory.org, which is just a place to share stories and poems and words of affirmation and pieces of hope and love and truth so that other people can see and read and hear and watch other stories take place, to take it into their own story, to see that they matter too. That message of the fact that your life is a story and it matters stuck with this person. It was a message of hope and of so much joy and of love that they never knew existed. See, this person understood finally after so long that no matter what they go through, God is rewriting their story with each and every moment that they have. So all of the bad things that they couldn't stand, all of the depressions that continue to hold them and they still struggle with, and all of the ideas that they, they feel worthless were so untrue because God loves them so much and sees them as a person of value, of hope, and of worth. And so with that in mind, this person was always talking about movies and about TV shows and about various other things that they were watching. And they said this one thing this one time. They asked me, what could it look like if my life was a TV show, if my life was a movie? I would want it to be so epic, so awesome, so worthwhile. And that stuck with me. That has changed my whole perception of everything. What if your life was something that people could watch, could listen for, that would be made into a TV show or a movie? Would it be something that would inspire people? Would it be something that would get people to want to live their story to the fullest? Would it be something that people would see God in? That people would see Jesus in? Because if it is, then you are truly seizing your story. Because if it's not, 
maybe it's time for you to consider seizing the story that matters most. This student now is doing much better. They moved on to other places. They're still struggling in various other things and, and circumstances, but they have come such a long way and are growing up and are continuing to become the person they have been called to be. They know how much they matter to God. They know how much meaning their life has. And they know that each moment they're alive, they have a chance to make something new out of it. This story reminds me of another story a long time ago. This man, Peter, who followed Jesus wholeheartedly. He was always the first one to raise his hand whenever Jesus asked a question. He was always the first one to, to go wherever Jesus was going. He literally leapt out of his fisherman's boat to say, I will go wherever you will go, Jesus. And yet, the night before he was betrayed, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I never will. So what happens? He does so. Three times, people ask him, don't you know that man? And he says, no, I don't know him. Don't you know that man right there? No, I don't know him. Don't you know that Jesus of Nazareth? I do not know him. Right as that happens, he realizes what he has done. And he runs away in his shame and his guilt feeling worthless, realizing what he has done. I can only imagine the guilt that he felt, the pain that he felt for denying God to his face. I can only assume that depression was just a simple piece of it. Possibly the thoughts of ending his life crossed his mind multiple times. But that's not the end of the story. As we find out, the resurrected Jesus shows himself to Peter. And he tells Peter, Peter, I forgive you. Will you look after my people? Peter says, I will do whatever you want me to, Lord. And he does. And he ends up changing the face of the world. Peter was changed in his heart, not necessarily by the people around him, but by God himself, given a new hope and a new light away from his guilt and of his sin of his pain that he felt for what he had done and believed that he had a new story to live, a new life to give with new opportunities ahead of him. God changed his heart. And it was the same way for the student. God changed this person's heart. So may you know that your life is not built upon your shame it's not built upon the things that you are feel guilty about. It's not built upon the darkness that you felt has held you for so long. It's built upon the hope that you matter, that your story matters, and that the one who made you and created you, the author of all of creation, of existence, 
of your very breath loves you more than you can comprehend and believes that you have a great story to live ahead. The one most important of all, one of life. So will you grab hold of it? This episode of Seize Your Story was produced by me, Marshall Coleman. The music in this episode was produced by the talented Chris Zabriskie. Check him out on Spotify or SoundCloud. For more pieces of inspiration, daily doses of stories and poems, go to seizeyourstory.org or follow me on Instagram at marshall.coleman.